Hello, welcome to the fourth Fund Fanatics podcast. Uh, my name is Gavin Lumsden. I'm editor of Investment Trust Insider. With me is Daniel Grote, editor of CityWire Funds Insider. And we're here to discuss what's going on uh, in funds and investment trusts. And Dan, how are you doing? Listen, today's big news. We're recording this on the day that Shell, we've been talking about it in previous uh, podcasts, you know, could it ever happen? It has actually happened. Shell, the mighty Shell has cut its dividend for the first time since the Second World War. And I don't know about you, Dan, but this is an absolutely seismic event. And no one was really predicting it, although it was possible. And it's just left me really feeling really sorry for our listeners out there, uh, for investors, income investors, who are, you know, where do they turn to now for uh, a safe income? You know, the search for a reliable investment income is not a new story. We've been talking about it. We've been writing about it for 10 years since the financial crisis when things were bad back then. And, you know, things have been getting tougher and tougher. And now it just seems with Shell doing this, you know, where do people go? What, what, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, it is, it's just a seismic uh, event in, in, in the world of income investing, isn't it? I mean, you know, Shell hasn't cut its dividend since, since World War II. Um, uh, and, you know, we've, we've had oil price crashes in the, you know, more than 80 years that there have been since it last uh, cut its dividend. Um, but this one has proved too much. Uh, and you're right, it, it has come as a shock. I mean, it, you know, in one sense, it, it's not a shock uh, because you know, the oil price has absolutely tumbled this year. You know, stock markets are down um, as a whole as a result of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and what, what that's done to uh, company revenues as, as economies lock down. But the oil price has been particularly affected um, where there's been this problem of oversupply, there was this aggressive price war launched by Saudi Arabia. And you know, last, in last week's podcast, we were talking about negative oil prices, you know, a, another historical milestone. And, and this week we have, we have shell cutting. And it, it's, well, clearly it's, with oil going to a negative price, obviously uh, the likes of Shell and, and, uh, and BP, it's, it's UK rival, uh, you know, you know that, that's doing their finances uh, a lot of harm. But, you know, yesterday, uh, this week, uh, BP actually lifted its uh, interim dividend. And, you know, it's made uh, the move by Shell all the more sort of, you know, shocking because, uh, and you wonder whether the BP will have to kind of, uh, you know, reconsider and, and, and toe the line. I mean, the logic is impeccable. Uh, and uh, we were, were, you know, we were looking at, we were hearing from fund managers and investors, there was a massive debate going on whether, you know, companies should be paying, you know, you shouldn't pay an unsustainable dividend. And, uh, you know, if oil's falling to a negative price or very low prices and your income is drying up, there's just no point in paying out something you can't afford. But it's just that, as you say, the decades of them through various crises, various downturns, they've managed to keep the dividend going. And now finally, uh, they've, they've, they've reset it. Obviously, there is a longer term positive here, you know, that if the company pays something it can afford, then it can actually grow. But right here, right now, you know, Shell, you, you, I think you know the figures better than me, but it was paying what, about a fifth of the UK uh, stock market income. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, and, and I mean, not only is this of, of huge kind of historical importance, uh, but just in terms of you know, the quantum of money that's now been taken out of uh, that dividend pool in, in the UK stock market. Um, Shell, yeah, I, I, partly as a result of all the cuts that we've seen elsewhere, Shell's 
portion of that payout was was getting on towards a, a fifth had it continued paying at the 47 cents a quarter so who's feeling the impact of all this this is like this is obviously the the, the many shareholders the direct shareholders and shell but also uh, you know our readers who are investing through funds and investment trusts there's the uk equity income funds we've talked about but there's loads of funds loads of global funds will be holding shell won't they yeah well i mean in a sense it's it's unsurprising i mean it's the biggest company in the FTSE 100 and it's certainly the biggest dividend payer and it has been for, for quite a while. So, you know, not only would you expect to see it um, represented fairly heavily in a lot of equity income funds that are paying out dividends uh, themselves to their investors, uh, but you see it in um, broader UK equity funds uh, because it, you know, it, it accounts for such a large part of, of the UK stock market. Yeah. And Shell, it's, it's funny how today, we're speaking on the day that it's actually uh, happened, been announced. You know, it took a while for the, the Shell share price to, to start sliding. You know, I was doing a little calculation uh, earlier on in the day. Uh, the shares, the market had been open for a, a couple of hours at that point, And it was just, it was down 3%, I think. Um, uh, you know, and on, our, and on our calculation, if this new quarterly rate uh, is maintained throughout the year, um, that seemed at the time to be giving a three and a half percent yield. Uh, the shares are now down thirteen percent. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm towards, just looking at it now. We're um, about an hour, hour away from uh, the market close on, on on the day that's been announced. So you know the shares have slid and uh, tumbled, uh, and that yield will be going up. Have you any idea what the, they are yielding at the moment? And uh, because they were before the cut. They were yielding 10%, which is obviously uh, sending a, a, a signal, a danger sign to, to investors that uh, the market thought that yield, that dividend was unsustainable. Um, but when I was doing a calculation, it had gone from 10% to, to 3.5%. But now it must be going, uh, must, be, must be above 4% by now. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're asking me to do a quick calculation off, off the back of my, off the top of my head, then I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah. um, but I suppose my point is that, you know, it's now been, it's a massive shock. And for those people who are holding uh, Shell and those people who are in the funds uh, and, you know, some of their income is coming from Shell, there's less money coming in. Going forward, if you were to buy Shell, you're not, it's possibly you're not getting a terrible yield. Um, but I just wonder what you think how that compa- you know, as a share, how that compares with other stocks yeah, out I mean, there. You, 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 you'll still be, it will still be yielding more than the, than the broader stock market. Um, I think that seems sort of fairly safe uh, to say. Um, it is at I, least paying something. So many companies are just scrapping or suspending their dividends entirely. Shell is paying some money. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the yield across the entirety of, of, of the UK stock market, um, you know, that was around sort of 5% heading into this um, coronavirus crisis. That's probably going to fall to around 3.5% by the end of the year. Uh, and you know, Shell's cut will play a fairly big part in that, in that yield going down. Um, I think the issue with, um, with Shell, uh, even on a yield that looks more sustainable um, than, than what it was trading on um, leading into this crisis, is that once you get sort of um, below the sort of 4% mark, um, you would then draw the comparison with uh, companies like uh, Unilever and Diageo, the sort of big consumer brands, um, uh, giants that are listed on on the UK stock market, uh, where there is that record of uh, consistently 
growing those dividends. Um, uh, and, and they look more, that, that growth looks more sustainable and maybe less volatile than what you would be expecting um, from a, an oil major, uh, just if you were going by what the oil market has been doing um, in, in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about those classic Unilever and, 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 the, and Diageo, yeah, those sort of classic uh, quality growth companies, aren't they? Uh, you're defensive in their own way, but they have got uh, growth in their underlying markets, however difficult it might be at times. You know, they're very diversified, very internationally spread, and uh, you know, lots of people are, are buying their wares. Uh, you know, by contrast, oil giants like Shell, you know, they've been value stocks. They they're, they're arguably were undervalued because they're in very difficult markets. You know, oil price wars and uh, uh, environmental concerns mean, you know, there's a real question mark over where their, their um, uh, end market is going. Um, well, I mean, but, you know, th their main attraction was a high yield. That's now gone. Uh, yeah. Would you really buy Shell if it's yielding something like 4%? Well, it's maybe a bit of a glib point, but, um, you know, if you look at companies like Unilever or, or, or Diageo, um, they're not selling stuff that's going to fall into a negative price. Um, uh, and obviously we've seen that with, with Shell, uh, you know, no, negative oil prices. Um, uh, they're, they're probably, um, you know, that's a, a product of, of the futures market, but it just highlights the extreme pressure that, that, that there is on that market. Um, uh, and that's, you know, that's led to, uh, the dividend cut that it's been forced to make. Yes, and, and, and then, so what about the impact on, on, on the funds? Because I, I, I look at the investment trusts, uh, as you know, and there, you know, we, we've touched on this in our, in, our, in our conversations already, but, you know, quality growth uh, seems to be uh, maintaining its uh, momentum. Uh, and the, the three trusts that have been um, highlighted by uh, analysts at Numis Securities um, you know, the UK Equity Income Trust as a whole uh, have a great track record in, in paying dividends and they all have these pools of uh, reserves of money, revenue reserves, with which they can uh, uh, underpin their dividends. But, you know, as with any sector, there's different types of trusts and those trusts that have more of a quality growth approach like Nick Train at Finsbury Growth and Income and Troy Income and Growth and Dunedin and Income and Growth, you know, those are the three that are kind of that end of the spectrum and, and, and they seem to be in favour at the moment where anything that's been more value driven, going for companies that are apparently cheap and out of favour but offering higher yields, you know, those are the trusts and the funds that have more of shelf and, uh, you know, they're being, they're being punished again today. You know, it does seem at the moment that the, the, the funds and the trusts and the quality growth end of the arguments, you know, they're, hold, they're holding things that are arguably expensive, but they're being rewarded for it so far. Well, and if you look at um, what's happening in the, the open-ended fund sector, um, absolutely, the, the, you, know, you have the same phenomenon where uh, those funds that were looking for dividends from the more value sort of areas of the market, you know, they would be drawn to Shell, BP, banks uh, those are the areas of the market that have um, cut dividends uh, by the most uh, you know, banks as a sector are responsible for the biggest sort of chunk that's been taken out of the uk stock market and now we have shell um cutting billions really from the uh, from the annual payout if it continues uh, for the rest of the year paying at the 16 cents a quarter level um so if you look across the um, investment associations, UK equity income sector, um, Shell, BP, banks, that they are really big holdings. And um, you know, last week we didn't actually touch about it, touch 
touch on it in, in last week's podcast, but the, um, the, the, the trade body, the investment association has suspended the yield rules um, in that sector um, because loads of those funds are going to fail it. Um, and, and those rules aren't particularly stringent. They just uh, ask that funds uh, yield 90% of the FTSE all share uh, over one year and more than the FTSE all share over a rolling three year period. But given what's happened um, with uh, dividends um, across the entirety of the stock market it's more than likely that lots of funds aren't going aren't to meet those requirements. Yeah that's a pretty weird situation to be in as you say uh, their, their uh, requirements were pretty lax at the beginning you know well, you, you, can get a, to... you can get away for it with 90% paying less than the market for a year and well, still call yourself an equity income fund I mean but you know uh, but over three years you have to um, yeah, but effectively, they're not. Uh, there is no income, so there can't be equity income funds right now. But they are aiming to be in the longer term. Supposedly, so I suppose they keep their name. But yes, well, it's, uh, it's not a proud moment for those funds, is it? No, and it's going over old ground again, I guess. But it just again, it's another highlight of the difference between open-ended funds and, and, and investment trusts and, and the dividend heroes that, that you write about, um, which aren't in quite the same situation. They're not, but the, and who knows what's going to happen? And you know, they, the, the investment trusts do have a structural advantage. It's not that the managers are necessarily better. In fact, you know, the managers will also run open-ended funds. It's purely a structural advantage. They can set aside some money. They don't have to distribute all the income they get, uh, so they end up with these uh, revenue reserves, um, which are very advantageous when uh, dividends are being cut uh, in the broader markets. The open-ended funds don't have that discretion, so. Um, you know, they just have to make the, the cuts. But um, yeah, I, I just go back to my point at the beginning. I just really feeling uh, sorry for our readers and thinking, you know, that we, both of us and, 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 and all sort of financial journalists, we're just going to have to sort of I don't know, redouble our efforts and uh, in terms of how we cover uh, income investing and, and, the ch and just really, first of all, just recognize what a challenge uh, it, it is because, um, you know, we're all... Well, none of us are retired. That's the, I think that's the, the nub of the issue. Uh, I'm a bit older than you. I'm in my 50s, but I've still got a way to go, I think. And I'm not, you know, I, I still, what I'm being is I really think of things in terms of growth. And, you know, dividends are an important part of your total return, obviously. But I, I confess that I, do, you know, I have to make an actual effort to think about things as an income investor, like that, which is I want to put my money into things which that generate a consistent and reliable and hopefully growing income, but certainly one that isn't cut when things go a bit wrong. Well, I mean, likewise, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much in the mindset of a growth investor. And I guess the best example that I had of, of putting myself into, um, into the shoes of an income investor was uh, a couple of months ago. Um, so my gran is selling her house um, uh, to fund uh, her care home bills. Uh, and so we were looking at how we use the money um, that would be generated from that sale. Obviously that's been put on the back burner um, for now, given um, uh, the coronavirus and, and the lockdown. Uh, but, you know, I went on the Association of Investment Companies uh, website uh, to use their sort of dividend um, tool uh, to build a kind of mock portfolio of, of how we could sort of generate the yield that would be needed to, to pay those fees. Um, you know, if I was going back to that portfolio and I, and I will do, now um uh, i wonder how many of those trusts will still be yielding what they were at the time uh, and it just highlights the 
the difficulty that there is uh, at the moment in 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 finding an income that is um, both that both meets your requirements and isn't going to be cut. Well, that is a. I remember you saying this before, Dan, and uh, yeah, it's just so much has been happening that uh, it, it, it escaped escaped my mind again. But that's. Uh, I'd be really interesting to know how you get on. Fund manager uh, Dan Groats looking after his uh, the family family estate, and yeah, what an important job you've got there. And it'll be fascinating to see how you get on. Uh, actually, you know, it's a tough it's a tough uh, thing to be asked to do by by your folks. But on the other hand you know as things settle down we will pull through this won't we um what's so uh frustrating and so so damaging is this uncertainty we don't know how long this crisis is going for where we're going to pull through but we will pull through and you know there will be businesses left standing uh, we hope and, uh, and and the funds investment trusts will be there still you know looking to invest in them so you're going to be buying you've got an opportunity to buy uh, some good things at the bottom and uh, maybe companies and, and trusts that are uh, increasing their uh, payouts their dividend payouts yeah and i think that's where the debate will move won't it um because you know we, we've had a lot of cuts and, and we're going to get some more cuts uh, but the, the the debate will soon then shift to uh, well, how long are these companies going to stay off the dividend register? Uh, and when they do return, if they do, uh, at what level will they return? Um, because the, and this is, you know, something that Fundsmith's Terry Smith has, has been writing about in the Financial Times today. Um, you know, his warning, I guess, to, to, to income investors that some companies may well use this as an opportunity to uh, you know, rectify, I guess, in, in, in their eyes, uh, what had become an unsustainable payout um, over the longer term, you know, not just dealing with the issue that we've got at the moment, uh, where revenues have dried up and, 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 and maybe will bounce back just as quickly as they disappeared um, in, in that sort of V-shaped sort of scenario. Um, they will be looking at a dividend that has become more and more of a weight um, where the cover has dwindled and dwindled and you know may not get back to the levels they were paying um, for a very long time. It's going to have huge ramifications, couldn't it? Because the UK stock market is known globally, internationally, as a higher yielding uh, stock market. You know, FTSE's been yielding about 4%, hasn't it? And uh, that's about double what the, the US market yields. They're not so into their dividends in the home of capitalism well that's i mean that's something that david stevenson was picking up um in in, in his column on, on, on both our websites this week um you know that if you if you can um, you compare the american stock market to stock markets in in europe and and over recent years you know, there's only been one winner um and america of course um and europe's i, I guess you know, what what europe can lay claim to in the absence of you know, those kind of rip-roaring rally is its record of generating dividends. Uh, and without that, you, you would have really struggled to make a, a return on, on most of the sort of major European stock markets in, in recent years. So if that goes, that really is a key flank, certainly of the UK stock market in particular, a key flank of its attractiveness um, uh, to overseas investors. Um, and you know, obviously, it's, it's been a stock market that has, to some extent, been shunned um, by those overseas investors in uh, over the last three to four years, um, largely as a result of, of the Brexit vote. Um, 
we sort of saw, started to see um, a, a, an amelioration of that kind of sentiment towards the UK with the uh, election result at the end of the year. But you know, if, the, if dividends go for a long time, then it's a struggle to see why overseas investors would want to have UK shares in their funds. Oh, that, the, that, that, that general election seems like an awfully long time ago now, doesn't yeah. it? Exactly. That whole kind of, I've repositioned my pension, talking about your, you know, your personal anecdote about looking after your uh, the family finances. The, uh, I re, like many people I expect, I repositioned my uh, personal pension, uh, up the ante on uh, UK uh, trusts, uh, after the election and yeah absolutely paying the price for it now because they've all been spanked by uh, by by the crash that just has hurt the uk stock market particularly hard hard, hard. um but just picking up on your point there about uh, overseas investors you know not liking the uk market maybe looking elsewhere you know does that mean you know we're thinking in terms of our our listeners and uh, what they might be thinking about where they could go and do with their money you know do uk investors need to be thinking more about investing overseas outside the UK as well because yeah I go back to my point you know, we've been focusing on uh, shares and equities because we're talking about but shell but when I you know say well where do income investors turn it's because you know of the past 10 years you know all areas of investment all asset classes have become pretty challenging if not unattractive um, you know we've seen uh, property uh, as an asset class uh, is a good area for income investors but at the moment because of the for similar reasons to do shell and uh, cutting its dividends you know, we're going through to this recession companies are struggling to pay uh, tenants are struggling to pay their rents all of them and so we're seeing uh, real estate investment trusts you know beginning to suspend or reduce uh, their dividends so that's property uh, you know is problematic for now um, we look to bonds or government bonds I mean they're, 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 uh, there's a there's a, a bubble and a double bubble uh, brewing in those the interest rates they uh, their coupons are, um, are absolutely tiny because of the the fall in interest rates and then the government's printing money issuing more and more bonds so the kind of the most uh, supposedly creditworthy uh, government bonds uh, 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 have been unattractive for a very long time and as a result people have been putting as you know putting more and more money into riskier uh, junk bonds junk corporate bonds high yielding bonds and with again this an economic downturn that we're uh, we're going about to go through you know that the, there's a specter of lots and lots of companies particularly in the US you know leveraged companies who've borrowed too much money whose business is now falling away you know they're, they're they're staring staring down a barrel, and uh, you know, bond defaults are going up as well. So again, that's another source of income: bonds, property, equities, all looking challenged. Where where do you go? Now it's not all bad, it's not all bleak, but it does make you think. You know, one kind of uh, broad response to this is that uh, if challenge things are challenging in the UK, yeah, maybe I need to look globally, uh, look overseas, and just have a you know maximum. <laughs> throw a really wide net around the world and see what on earth is there out there that uh, can help me out. Well, I guess one of the reasons why UK investors might not have done that previously is that the yields on overseas markets really kind of struggle to rival what we have over here. Yeah. And there's a currency and there's a currency risk if you invest outside, you know, currencies fluctuate and that complicates the return you may or may not be getting. But that you know, that, that, that argument over yield, well, that's not quite the same as it was before the crisis now. Um, 
you know, if, if the if the FTSE all share falls to a three and a half percent yield, then it doesn't have quite the lead over some overseas markets that, that it once did. Um, so I, I guess the question you're then asking is, well, uh, are UK dividends going to rebound quickly? In which case, you know, now's probably now would be a good time to be buying. Um, if they're not, um, maybe then you do look, you, you look overseas and you try to diversify um, uh, your income. Um, I mean, in terms of, it would really take a bit of a cultural shift, I think, um, and uh, a shift in, um, well, a shift in money, um, in the sense that um, if you look at the if you look at the open-ended fund space, uh, the where investors are generating income from equities is really geared towards UK equities. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really big sector. Global equity income, much less so. Um, you know, that's. And it's because of it's because of that disparity in the yield between the two. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the same thing in an investment trust. I think there's half a dozen of uh, global uh, equity income trusts, um, at most handful, and there's uh, well over twenty in the UK equity income uh, uh, grouping. Um, I tell you, though, looking overseas, Asia is a, an area is a market that's uh, being sort of flagged up. Um, mainly by managers of Asia equity income uh, funds and trusts, it has to be said. But uh, yeah, there, is a, there, is an, there is an argument. Um, you know, Asia broadly is a, is, a, is a growth market because of the, the demographics, younger populations and the emerging market status, et cetera, et cetera. But actually it, it's, it's not quite as simple as that. And uh, some of the economies are, are getting more advanced. And, uh, and also they've been, you know, more recent this year, They've been hit by the very same coronavirus uh, pandemic, but they, they're first into it and possibly the first out of it. So, and in, and in uh, countries like Japan, you know, which is not an emerging market, obviously very advanced uh, developed markets, you know, there's a, a, arguably a dividend culture uh, growing there as well. So, you know, nothing is straightforward. All of these markets have their... Um, uh, that their drawbacks and potential dangers. It's not risk-free investing in that part of the world, uh, but uh, as a source of capital growth and income as well, uh, that they are looking interesting. And I think it's probably an area to think about our coverage that we're going to be looking at uh, in more, a bit more in future. Yeah, I think well, we will, and investors will, won't they? Um, I, I think that's you know, this has happened with UK dividends, so we need to look at where you can get them elsewhere or whether they're yeah. going to recover in the UK. Well, on that note, Dan, let, let's leave it there because um, plenty of food for thought and we'll doubtless come back to this uh, topic again. It's a huge challenge. Where do you find a safe income? We've just scratched the surface. Um, let's give it some thoughts and uh, let's meet up next week. 